point do we actually reveal what movie we are right after, it's after the, it's, at, it's right after the intro right yeah but you can it we don't really we don't really have a format do we <laughs> no let's go for it all right it's gonna it's gonna be better this time i'm gonna do it it's gonna be less than 27 takes it's gonna happen <laughs> you, you gotta do it okay. to yeah right all right Sasha Chambers, and it's Eating After Midnight, a podcast where me and my best friend, Amy Rivers, reheat movies from our childhoods to see if the leftovers have retained their flavor or left a bad taste in our mouths. It's also about how these movies influenced, inspired, and shaped us, whether the ideas they cooked up and fed us nourished our bodies and minds or just rotted our teeth and clogged our mental arteries. Amy and I are not film scholars, but we do have a genuine love of movies as well as a beautiful friendship that spans 25 years. I feel the pressure. The pressure's on. This is a big one. This is as big as Princess Bride or Never Ending Story in terms of like classic films. In fact, I'm so excited and was so excited that like Good Enough started playing in my head before I pressed Confirm Rental, right? Like it was already like Good Enough. Me. And it's still, it's, it's been running for two days. It's in the back of my head right now as we're talking about it. Like there's. It's such a good song. It can't, it can't just be good enough because this is the Goonies. It's, it's gotta be right. We've already it's skipped right. so good. soundtrack song. I mean, Cindy Lauper singing this song is awesome. I loved Cindy Lauper. What was there not to love about Cindy Lauper? I'm pumped for us to review now our second edgy childhood film. Because it really is. It's, it's an edgy film, just like Stand By Me was an edgy kid movie about death and friendship. This is an edgy kid movie about adventure, but they like try to cross the line and talk about dicks and they swear and stuff. Yeah, you know what? That, that was one of the things that I thought about it. There's a couple things, like, you know, I mean, we could just jump into the beginning, but there's like some dark moments in it, I guess is the best way to say it. There's, you know, like off color you know, is this a kid mo kid's movie? Is this allowed to be a kid's movie? But then of course it is a kid's movie. And may I say, it's an amazing kid's movie. Like, I don't think they made a movie this fun ever before this movie. I did not remember seeing this in theater. I remember seeing it at home and I just remember loving it. It was just the most, it was the most funnest movie experience I had ever had. I mean, there was just, right. you know, from going for a buried treasure to the water slide that they have later, I just remember wanting to be a Goonie and wanting to be just right there with them the whole time. And I must have watched it about 150 times. It's like in the, when did yeah. it appear, 1985? I must have. Yeah. I, yeah, I just, I, so I know it sucks to have just a childhood memory of like, I loved it, but I well, no, because that's, that, oh, just, that just proves like how imprinted it is, because I have no memory of seeing this in the theater. I have no memory of ever going to Blockbuster and like 
picking that out and having that be the first time I've seen it. Surely not. But I also don't remember never not having Goonies as part of my visual lexicon of references, of experiences. It's just been a constant my whole life. In fact, the other day I was driving around and there was a, like three or four kids on bikes. And to the person driving, I was like, careful Goonies. Like there's just so many, like I say, hey, you guys, before I start a class sometimes, like I just, there's too many things from Goonies that are part of me permanently. It's fine. I don't need a solid childhood memory to be associated with having seen it for the first time because Goonies is my solid childhood memory. There's like Christmas and Thanksgiving and going to Disneyland and, and watching Goonies. And then there's, you know, my parents got right. first and, you know, I, I got a D in, in English once in like third grade and that was pretty bad. And when I am nostalgic about the 80s, this movie is is right there in that Absolutely. bucket of just happiness buckets. Yeah, you're right. When you go to happy access, happy memories from childhood, access happy things I've experienced. Goonies is definitely, yeah, floating on the top of the bucket like that crab that Steph pulls out what? with her. What the fuck was that? We'll, we'll get to that, but yeah. So yeah, you know, you know what else I also never fully clocked was, and I don't know if it was the, there's no sound in the opening credits other than those jail noises. That's so creepy. Can I tell you, I mean, we're just jumping in, Sasha. I stopped it and restarted it two times. I was like, is there something wrong with my television? I never noticed that. It was I scary to me. I, well, I think that's the thing. Again, it, it starts kind of dark. Like, you know, we're just going to have to start, Sasha. Yeah. We're, no, I mean, we've started. We've started. We're uh, in. We have, we have eaten the soup. We're already like four or five spoons spoons. Yeah. Uh, it starts that, that silent thing. And then with the fake suicide in the county. I know that's my first note. I was like faked attempted suicide, prison break and arson off to a good start. Right on. Yeah. Kids yeah. movie. Here that's, we go. That, that's no, that's no kids movie. Like that's, you know, this is how you, you fake your death. And I also noticed that why would he hang himself with like a sock when he actually has a scarf around his neck? That's a nice scarf. It's a nice scarf. In fact, one of my first notes is that this Fratelli brother, which I don't remember his first name, the opera of Fratelli brother, uh -huh. um, he knows how to do layering really well. Yeah, he does. He's Well, he's, he's clearly the more stylish and more attractive of the two Fratelli brothers. Yeah, and then of course we also meet Mama Fratelli, who is one of the best female villains next to Cruella DeVille <laughs> and ever. Ramsey. So her name's Anne Ramsey. And she's um, also was in Scrooge, and she was in Throw Mama from the Train, which I recently watched. And an interesting tidbit about her is that she was super wealthy. You know, really? like like prior, like you know, Sigourney Weaver is another one where. Oh, they, I didn't know that. Like they they come from very wealthy families, which I just always felt found really ironic because she always kind of plays kind of downtrodden characters with like the hair that's just like flat and stuck to her face and she looks horrible but she actually comes from a lot of money which is just just an interesting tidbit um another interesting tidbit when they are running away and they are on their way she starts eating saltines i mean she is cool as a cucumber isn't she yeah She's eating the saltine the steely just <laughs> nothing is unflappable mama fratelli with her black gloves and her black beret. And her black support hose. Um, after the prison break, 
are off in their getaway car and and as they are going through the town we meet all the characters in different scenarios right so andy's at cheerleading whatever we'll talk lots more about <laughs> exactly. there. whatever with and that. then um rosalita is crossing the street and then we've got mouth who's watching a car chase on TV and there's a funny moment there. Chuck's eating pizza and he's the only one who actually sees the car, um, the car chase. Dave is testing one of his inventions. And then Steph what is, is doing bobbing for fucking crabs. What the fuck is this? <laughs> like in a leather, uh, like apron or something. Isn't she wearing some, she's like, wearing, she, like that's I mean, she's, she's in her little like purple hoodie sweater thing, whatever the fuck she's wearing throughout the course of the movie. But maybe she, I didn't, I didn't clock whether or not she had on like some kind of work apron, but either way, what, what fishmonger position requires you to dunk your entire head into a wooden vat to collect a crab? And she just, did she, t she didn't come up with it in her teeth. Like she came up with it with, they have nets for those things. What is this? never revisited she never mentions again working down at the yard i mean perhaps it was a line that got cut or a scene that gave us a little bit more um you know background on steph but that you mentioned that because actually it was really important to me the steph part because probably one of my favorite characters is martha plimpton absolutely i love her as an actress she's one of my favorites in the 80s and she like parenthood and uh, she was in the Mosquito Coast. Remember we talked about Yeah, and this is this is big of us to be saying that Martha Plimpton is our favorite character because she was River Phoenix's girlfriend for a minute. So Amy should actually technically kind of have the hate. I've always loved her. I always thought she yeah, was she's badass. I always thought Martha she was Plimpton so is badass. Interesting looking and was even as a young actress able to play the kind of nerdy friend and the sexiest girl in the room at the same time. Mm -hmm. She has aesthetic weight. She can she can run the spectrum. Yeah, and that's very, very true to be said of, of Martha Plimpton. And actually, the thing is, though, about her being like the super nerdy friend or the sexiest girl in the room, I don't know about you, but the sexual tension that they tried to kind of force between her and Mouth was exactly that for me, forced and awkward and weird. She's way cooler than him. And I could never imagine any scenario in which she would permit kind <laughs> of flirtation, one with Corey Feldman or with the character of Mouth. <laughs> Three, we've met all of our heroes. Except for and one, except, except for one. We have not yet met Mikey, who is home, bored and depressed with his brother Brandon, because we come to discover the goondocks are going to be sold to some rich folks to demolish all these beautiful old homes. Oh my God. I did not remember how beautiful it is. It looks like Mount Storybook. Washington. It's like Mount Washington, except the houses are all craftsman style and then pastel colored with mist rolling through them all. Like, mm -hmm. I, I want to move to this town. I don't actually, because I hear that it got really, like it gets terrible around, um, there's a Goonies day and then all yeah. the scouts. There's a Goonies day. And also this is yet another movie with no black people in Oregon for a reason. The farther north you get in Oregon, the more racist as fuck it gets. And this brings me to Mouth. Yet another movie with no black people, but I have to say, I think Mouth might be our token black folk for just a moment in his purple rain shirt, his gray members only jacket, both of which articles of clothing I own. 
mouth knows all about Detroit, knows that this is the birthplace of, <laughs> of Motown and that it has the highest per capita murder rate in the city at that moment. So I'm like, oh, mouth has to be our black person for a moment. Mouth has soul. Is that what Mouth has some soul. He's constantly fixing his hair. In a toaster. <laughs> you know, in a toaster. Exactly. He's trying to be smooth with the ladies. I mean, I think for a moment, for a moment, at least. So then we meet, I think, my second favorite character to Steph. Chunk. Now I know why you like Chunk. Nothing, nothing happens without Chunk. Nothing happens without Chunk. Chunk makes me laugh. He's so funny and he brings the comedy left, right, and center. Like, yeah, put it this way, he's funnier than Corey Feldman, who is super funny in this. Because yeah. honestly, Corey Feldman, in retrospect, some of his funny is, is a little problematic. Uh, you know what I mean? We'll get into it. it so, you know, he's, he's mean. Talking about mouth being mean. The trouble show. Oh. It's so mean. So mean. They told me to do the truffle shuffle. <gasps> really upset about it because, um, listeners, if you don't know, I had a baby about a year ago, and it's hard to lose baby weight when you're uh, 42 years old. Sometimes. Wait, who who told you to do the truffle shuffle? We're not going to get into who it was because it's not really the point. They're glad I'm in a different time zone. That's all I have to say. Are you now, sister? I know. Okay. But but the thing is, is that clearly the truffle shuffle has uh, ingrained itself in culture in a way that's kind of uncool. Um, yeah, fat shaming is not okay. It yeah. was okay in the 80s, kind of. I think everyone in their gut knew that it was not okay to fat shame, but they did it anyway, and they did it a lot to kids. And this is the second movie now that's about little boys, and thankfully in this one, a couple of girls, um, going on an adventure where it's there's a point made of fat shaming. And... Yeah, and fuck and that shit. Shuffle shuffle was really fucked up. Growing up, I was I was a little overweight as well. But when I remember as a child, um, in regards to this movie, growing up, that was a put down that yeah, on. that's fucked up. Man. I remember. Um, I I don't remember an, a specification where it was me, but I remember people doing it to other people. So so Chunk is asked to do the truffle shuffle in order to gain entrance into the house of Mikey and Brandon. And in order to get into their house, there is an elaborate Rube Goldberg machine. We, we assume that has been built by Mikey, the younger brother, um, which consists of a bowling ball going down a track, depositing itself on like a lever, which then inflates a balloon, which then pops and then creates an entire chain reaction, which is, of course, what a Rube Goldberg machine is, which then will ultimately allow Chunk to enter the gate. And for the first time, I understood why this film is so clever. The entire thing is a Rube Goldberg machine. You know what I mean? It's not just like that there's a, a structural chain of events. It is literally a triggered chain of events that just keeps you on your seat. You're like, we pushed a rock and now there's bats. And the bats trigger the relief of the blender. And the, this, you know what I mean? Like it just keeps yes, going and going and going. Smart, smart, so, smart, smart. Cool thing. And then we meet one more character. One more character shows up at the party and that's Data who lives across the way. And as we saw in the intro, he is a amateur inventor of varying degrees of success and he has a zip line 
which really makes me wonder about his parents that they've allowed him to create between the two houses and go in the air from one house to another where he then for the umpty ump time breaks the screen door of his neighbor's home. Now, now mind you, in watching this, I have immediately put myself with Levin, my son, being yeah. 13 years old or however old these guys are, 12, 13 years old, and being like, okay, this is going to be his friends. And like, oh, I'll come home and it will be him with all of his friends and I'm going to have to say, hi, boys, and I'm going to be, you know, clueless like her, right? Like, that's my future. But when Data goes through, like, at how many feet up in the air is he? So high, dude. Oh it's like God. the second or third floor of oh that. I never, yeah, never until I got to be godmother age was I like, who said this was okay? No. no. And it's happened multiple times. What the fuck? <laughs> Are you kidding? So when Data comes in, he uh, knocks over a statue of. Mm, is that what? Oh, oh, is that? Oh, yeah, yeah. And then Chunk catches it, and he's like, "Ha ha ha, guys! You thought that I would drop it because Chunk is, of course, the fat klutz. Um, doesn't drop it. It it slips off the table, despite him thinking he solved it. And what happens? Nothing breaks but the dick, and they freak out because that's their mom's favorite part of the statue. Um, so here's our first kid, blue kid joke made. Oh my God, that's my mom's most favorite part. What a response. That's my mom's most favorite part. So right. Literally, they know that it's the dick. And they, by this time of their age, they would have known what a penis is used for. But to and say- what that would mean to say that it's their mom's most favorite part. And then Mouth is like, Would you wouldn't be here if it wasn't. Yaka, yaka, yaka. The chemistry between the boys I dare say that there's a naturalism to it that's more impressive than Stand By Me. There's just mm-hmm. like, like just in the way they talk over each other and how like two of the kids I agree. are talking, but then another one, like the way this ensemble works together is really magical. But this chemistry and the way they, like, it's almost like Robert Altman movies for, for kids. You know what I mean? Just <laughs> kind of like all kind of moving at the same time and together. It's just really, it's really brilliant because we've, we've gotten through all of them, right? And we meet the but, only other, the only actual Brown character in the movie, which I have a lot to say about this, Rosalita, Rosalita. Well, we saw her in the intro trying to cross the street. And of course it's supposed to be funny that she almost gets hit, hit by a car three times, which I feel like was some kind of like very weird subtle joke about border crossing i'm not even trying to be an asshole but i really feel like that that like that's where that came from i don't like it i don't like rosalita's treatment through this i do not at all i don't think it's especially because she solves she's the one who saves the day yes the day she saves the day ultimately yes and like when when mrs walsh comes home with rosalita first of all why is mrs walsh's arm broken Marcia, you saw her arm's not broken. She moves it like 19 times. <laughs> like, I was watching because I was like, oh, I never like clocked growing up. Like, oh, she has a hurt arm. Even though she says the lines, it was Yeah. She doesn't speak a word of English. And so we discover that Mouth's actual name is Clark. Clark is recruited to translate for Mrs. Walsh the, the, the comings and goings and the ins and outs of the house and what needs to be accomplished in order to get this move underway. And then Clark proceeds to terrorize Rosalita by making jokes about drugs, right? Because, of course, we associate brown people and immigrants with drugs. And then 
goes ahead and threatens her as though she's an indentured servant if she doesn't commit said acts in said period of time to such satisfaction she'll be locked in a closet without food or water sex things up in the in the in the attic sexual toys but even still it's like all of the things all of the like really dark things that have to unfortunately be associated with the difficulties of being an immigrant um what the fuck not funny not funny actually one is actually really bad it's really uncool like watching it and i knew the part was coming up and i knew it was going to be problematic in retrospect you know of course when i watched it right as a little girl i thought it was funny as hell but i forgot that it went so far So we're in the attic and they're looking for rich stuff, stuff that I, I saw for the first time because I've, again, started watching things with subtitles per your suggestion, <laughs> um, that the old ciders, as Clark or Mouth refers to them, um, those that came before them in Astoria may have left behind. Maybe there's some gold in the attic, which is like so funny that this is like they're because they're at the same time, like they want to be grown up they also want to believe in these fantasy stories like there's buried treasure in their the attic above them right um so they go up there and yeah the the whole attic is like why wouldn't they be up there if you didn't want kids up there there should be a giant padlock on the ceiling because what kid wouldn't want to be up there with pirate jackets and swords and dusty old shit there's no way those kids wouldn't be stuck up there for weeks like, I, I, I'm surprised right. that they actually go anywhere else in the Right. <laughs> I know. Ended right there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Mikey comes across, you know, a map, tricks Chunk into breaking it because he's the klutz. They break it out. And then we get the best monologue of the film from Sean Astin because, quite frankly, they go down. They really go down yes. from here. I, I would say, <laughs> like, so, so Mikey, the optimistic dreamer of the group, does have like a series of dramatic monologues through this. And you're absolutely right. This one, at least he's telling a story. It's so alive. Like, it's so vivid. The way he's telling it, you really yeah. do feel like he's so excited, like, like, like to, to be able to tell he's, this story. Like, because. <laughs> Like, yeah, he's out of breath. You know, like he that. wants to tell you everything about it, and it feels like he's literally trying to tell you 9,000 nights worth of his dad tucking him into bed worth of stories about One-Eyed Willie in 15 seconds because he doesn't want you to lose interest. This is so important. You have to believe me. We have to go find One-Eyed Willie's treasure. I have to say here, Sash, that I was absolutely in love with Sean Astin when I was a little girl. Like, really? you know, he grew up and now he's a hobbit, but like, Again, just like Stand By Me, I imagined myself as a Goonie. And mm-hmm. of course, you know, the, the subplot being that, you know, me and Mikey fall in love. Oops. Me and Mikey fall in love. <laughs> I got very excited about that. But yeah, you know, I mean, exactly the same. I mean, I think that I watched every movie and imagined I was in it. Maybe that's just like a thing that I do. Do not do that anymore. It's because we're it's old and our imagination time. is dying. Yeah, now it's just like, was this movie worth my time? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. What did I, what did I just give? I, I could have been yeah, sleeping. Potentially 180 minutes of my life because of how fucking long <laughs> movies are now. <laughs> anyway, yeah. and then they also find a newspaper clipping talking about a guy named Chester Copperpot um, who went looking for the treasure as well. Who, of course, was seen again. Yes, never seen again. So then the boys decide that they're going to go find the treasure, but they need to get away from Bran because, uh, side note, Mikey has asthma. 
I feel like asthma was the peanut allergy of the 80s. Like it was the thing that like lots of kids yeah. didn't realize they had. All of a sudden we're all, everyone you know has asthma and has an inhaler. Yeah. I was at the point where I was like, I wish I had asthma. I don't have an oh, inhaler. Oh yeah, everyone wanted an inhaler. Yeah, like I didn't have a puffer. And like, yeah. So I, I think, think that's why he had asthma. ADD now I think is what it is, right? No, no, ADD was the 90s. Is it that was the tail, tail end of the 90s. I don't, yeah, I don't know what the thing is now. So- Mikey's mother is very adamant that he is not allowed to go outside because it's just about to rain weather. You know, Bran's, you know, purpose in this is to protect Mikey. He's exercising because that's what Bran does. He, he was played by Josh Brolin, by the way. Yeah, I know. And you know, funny enough, you would think that this dirty old lady would have already been cooing about Josh Brolin in his layered little shorts and, and you know, nope. sweats look. No, didn't nope. do it for me. Didn't Never do it was for into me. him. In fact, unlike you with the, the little crush on Sean Astin, I might have thought he was cute, but I think this is my like one pure kids movie where like I didn't have any kind of like oh, crushed out. cute, no, no crushed out. I was just like, this is just a fucking rad movie yeah. to watch 8 million times because like <laughs> these kids are cool and I would totally party with them. Yeah. <laughs> no, Josh Brolin is not hot in his uh, He's not. workout his wear. headband, all that yeah. jazz. It's that not. Bit. He's too meathead. I never really understood the fascination with Josh Brolin. He legit looks like, I'm not even sure, and again, forgettable, like not even sure what his name is. Ken had a dark-haired friend. <laughs> Remember, and I know exactly who you're talking about. Oh, my days. The clock is ticking on their little town. They're all really sad about the fact that they've got to go. They have decided that they're going to go and take off. And in order to do so, they tie up Brand with his own workout gear while he's watching Cindy Lauper on MTV, which is really kind of hilarious. And then, like, he's left there on his side watching Cindy Lauper on MTV for his mom and, and Rosalita to come into where she is then again, like, somewhat terrified. I don't know if they consciously did this or not, but I think, like, the idea that the parents are so clueless. You know, you, because his mother walks in and her That's response weird. is it's very weird. Why can't you exercise like a normal person, right? And and then just walks by him. And, and he's like, screaming like, Ma, get me like, out of this. You got to help mom. me. Right? Mikey, who's running away with the boys, he runs into his father and is like, hi, dad. And his dad's yeah. like, oh, hi. Yeah, oh, they, are pretty, oh. they are pretty goofy. And it wouldn't be a far cry to imagine that an 11-year-old boy has to fucking man up and save the town. Because like, it's, apparently everyone's relying on his dad to pull the shit together. And they're talking <laughs> about how hard he's working. And there he is in town just like fucking with the flagpole. And you're like, well, yeah, it's probably not looking good, <laughs> guys. You might want to run by Home Depot and pick up some boxes. I think that there is allusions to this idea that parents, they just don't understand, <laughs> which is a theme in the 80s, right? Where it's like the parents just were not clocked into what was actually happening into the lives yeah. of the children. So, okay. So the kids are booking it. And in order to do so, they uh, deflated Brand's tires on his bikes, bike, which then leads him to steal like a little girl's bike with training wheels, which then leads us to the next problematic scene in the film where we meet Troy, who is the son of one of the real estate dicks who's attempting to destroy Astoria. And in the passenger seat is Andy, who we saw earlier leading the cheerleading team in the tiniest little skirt, shorts, whatever the fuck, I don't know what that is, but she spends most of the film with half her ass out anyhow. 
and her best friend, Steph, who can catch a crab with her teeth, is in the backseat. And they're tooling down this Oregon country, whatever, windy mountain road, and Troy is a creep. He reads rich 80s creep, like there's nothing about him that wouldn't tell you he was that guy. And he's using the rear view mirror to look up Andy's little teeny tiny skirt and she's telling him that he's being a jerk and that he better stop blah 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 blah, blah and he's just a dick and of course what did he what does he see they see brand riding this kid's but tricycle. wait a second one of the things that bothers me about this is they could have done it where he touches the mirror and she says it to him but they decided to actually do the shot do it anyway yeah they the did it skirt. anyway you know what i mean yeah. like, kind of i'm like okay it's fine to have that that part that he's a jerk. Why did they have to show what he was doing? Yeah, they didn't shot in there. They didn't absolutely they just had it done with with her saying, you know, stop touching that mirror. Yeah, it's, yeah, because it because no one was unclear. I don't think anyone was unclear on what was what what he might have been doing with the mirror because yeah. he's a skeevy '80s rich kid asshole, and it's and he's you know gross. Because I think so, it's one of those yeah. moments where where. Um, it's like you get it from there. You don't actually need to do the shot of this sixteen-year-old girl's panties. Yeah, you don't didn't need, need that. to happen, especially uh, not in a movie that's targeted at eight to twelve-year-old. You know. Yeah. So so Brand is like dun, 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 just riding his ass off, trying to catch up to Mikey and his crew. They see him. So so then Andy's like, "Can we offer you a ride?" He's he's leaned his hand on the side of the red, you know, convertible. And he's like, yeah, no, let's, let's give you a ride. Cause he's pissed because we've already established that on Friday, Brand has a date with Andy who's riding in the car with Troy and wearing his sweater. So I'm sure Troy might have a little bit of beef with Brand. That seems reasonable in terms of teenage boy stuff. But what he does next, disproportionate. Troy, Troy needs a hug and some therapy. Troy kills him. Tries to kill him. He slams his hand down on top of Brand's hand and gets the car up to over 45 miles an hour on a windy Oregon mountain road and then sends Brand off a cliff. Like, that, that's attempted he, murder. He does kill him. He does yeah, kill him. He kills like, him. He, as far, like, like, yeah, he's dead. He doesn't, and the girls, when they say, we just came to check that you were okay, it's like, no, he died. Oh, you know, that whole part where they show up is completely annoying to me. Like, we just wanted to check if you're okay. And all of a sudden she's like, yeah, Troy was really kind of being a jerk, like using the the mirror to like, you know, like, look oh, at Andy. Shirt. like, oh, like Andy. think about, think about that. Think about that. Like, that was kind of like skeevy, just the way that she was like, kind of coquettishly trying to get him to think about the mirror down her shirt. She's, that's the perfect boobs. word. She's coquettish in the world. Yeah. Way. Think about, think about my boobs, Brand. So then, and she's like, yeah, he was just really being a jerk doing that. So then I like, I elbowed him in, in his lip, but makes no mention of the attempted murder of her date on Friday night. It's one of those moments where it's like, this was clearly written by a man. Steph is awesome, but I think it's because Martha Plimpton yep. brought that to the table. Yep. That scenario that you're talking about, though, where it's like, has a date, has a date, head cheerleader, blah, 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 um, is like, oh, a dude wrote this. She's not uh, duplicitous. Like, she is a genuine, like, the way she's supposed to be perceived, right. that she is a sweet, you know, hi, I'm just a yeah. sweet girl. She's not like a sex pot having dates with two boys. Um you know, in one week, like that's not her. So anyway. 
So while the vehicular attempted vehicular manslaughter <laughs> is taking place, the boys have figured out that the map lines up, the little doubloon that they found on the map lines up with these three stones. They had their way down there. They know that it's X number of paces from a tree to the restaurant. They're counting it out. They get X number of paces from the restaurant before they notice that someone's on their way inside. Chunk very intelligently is like, hey guys, I mean, this is like a summer place. Why is it open in the fall? It's a little creepy. Doesn't doesn't look good. Doesn't look good. And you know, I'm sure it's you know we probably don't want to go in there. I don't know if we mentioned that when Chunk and I don't think we did because this is again nothing happens without Chunk. So Chunk, when he first gets into the house after doing the truffle shuffle, I don't know if we went over the fact that the thing that he really needed to tell the guys was that he had seen this high speed chase that none of them had seen. And of course, no one wants to believe him because he's a teller of tall tales. They decide that they're going to go in, despite the fact that this is a summer place that's open in fall, despite the fact that it doesn't look like there's any customers in there other than potentially two drug dealers. They're going to go in there anyway. And this is when despite I realized the fact that they hear a gunshot as well. And this is when I realized that Clark, aka Mouth, is not black at all. He because <laughs> if they had a black friend and they heard a goddamn gunshot, <laughs> they would not be heading into that place to be like adventure over, <laughs> la la la, like that's it. <laughs> Run credits. So they head right into this shithole restaurant. This is after peering in the windows and seeing what they, they can see clearly that they've got a body in a garbage bag. They're like, it looks like the cook's taking something to the kitchen. Yes, a dead body. That's, that's exactly what that is. The blissful ignorance. Of the blissful children. ignorance. Well, willful ignorance because they willful. just want in there. So they want to get to that rich stuff, right? While they're trying to like poke around and see... Chung decides for some reason that he's going to go poke around in the garage because he's just one of those obnoxious kids that's just fucking around and doing stuff when he shouldn't be. And he looks in the garage and sees the same, the same ORV that he saw in the chase with bullet holes the size of matzo balls. Back to the restaurant where when they've come in, um, they are greeted by Mama Fratelli. And Mama Fratelli is super scary, right? Of course. Why didn't they leave? She pulled his tongue out of his head and drew a switchblade. That's where we're going. What the fuck? Not only did they not leave, not only did they not scream and leave, but they sit down and they get the water. And when they get the water, the water is literally brown. It's brown water. Yeah. Mouth, who has been physically assaulted by Mama Fratelli because he started mouthing off about how he wanted like fettuccine Alfredo and stuff like that, is like playing with the water. And again, this is one of those moments where the chemistry is really good, where everything's happening at the same time and it's beautifully, it's beautifully done. Mikey goes to the bathroom. So Mama Fratelli- He does not again. keep to the right, as Mama Fratelli says to him. And, and he finds a Sloth, who he refers to as an it. And can I tell you, this broke my heart this time. Oh, did says, you watch it with subtitles? No, I didn't. I didn't watch I did. it with subtitles. I but did. At one point, does he say, poor me? He says fucking, woe is me. <sighs> it's so heartbreaking. It's and so I heartbreaking. Never, I never realized it. You know, the first thing he up. says is food. Then he says, hungry. Oh. And then he says, woe is me. Oh my God, my heart's breaking again. And this is an interesting thing. Like on one hand, okay, they've got a disfigured character, okay? And do they make jokes about it? Yes, they do, right? 
and he's not disfigured in actually a natural way. They've got this very odd makeup. It's not what, how can I say? It's not like, here's the disease and this is a representation. You know, right. I mean? it's, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a kind of, um, it's just an it's an amalgam it's an amalgam of physical deformity perhaps developmental issues or something that's just been yeah put into one yeah which is problem a golem basically which is yeah which is problematic because this is when it was still okay to use the word retard like it was funny right you've got that on one hand you've got this idea that they've done that but then on the other hand i'm not sure how i feel about it on one hand making kind of an amalgam of, of somebody that has deformities and then making some jokes about it here and there mm, rubs me the wrong way. But the fact that they kind of made him a hero character is kind of like, well, that's actually a kind of a positive. So not sure how I feel. How do you feel? I want to feel that way about it because I love the movie too much and I don't actually get left with like a really deeply deeply icky feeling every time Sloth is on the screen. Ultimately like when we find out towards the end as he has that interaction when he confronts Mama Fratelli, Mama you've been bad and then we find out that he finds out how he became Sloth. He's very much humanized and avenged in his own right and accepted and loved ultimately he is a hero and his story the trajectory of his character works very 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 well bran is the one who shows up grabs mikey and when bran shows up it it kind of you know he he kind of saves the kids from the fratellis in this moment that the that the moment of danger they they didn't really know that they were in as they leave they run into andy and um steph you know about andy and steph now yeah, we can talk about the fact that their friendship is highly unlikely. <laughs> that stuff's way too cool. No, so way Andy, too cool. Andy, who is played by Carrie Green, who is also in Lucas, but this was actually her first film. And oh my god, I just don't know. Did like did they write her to be annoying? I, I can't decide. Was she supposed to be annoying, or is this? young men's dreams i know know, i think this this is young men's understanding of women like either you're the really hot girl that guys want to date or you're the dorky glasses wearing geek that thinks sex is gross yeah and of course and of course those two girls are friends which is not which is not completely unlikely but just in their demeanors andy would have gotten on steph's nerves way too much so the only way that their friendship works for me is that they have been neighbors or were neighbors all through elementary school. They were in every class together. This is their first or second year of high school. They're going to phase out over this summer. <laughs> That's probably what's going to happen. I just, I just like, oh, Andy. We see that the Fratellis are leaving. Mm-hmm. They decide to go back in. The boys really want to go. Brand's yelling at them. You need to come with me, Mikey. You need to come with me. But not the first thing that she's done that's annoying. But she says, hey, Brand." They can, they can stay for a couple minutes if you just stay with me. Like, and it's yeah. just cringy. Yeah, and this is all while she's still wearing um, said attempted murderer Troy's sweater. Skeeza. It's Martha Plimpton doing the greatest, like, friend eye roll ever where it's like, oh my God, you're so lame. And this is how they end up stepping on that rake with the dead fish head that they claim tried to kill them, is that the Andy is trying to, like, yeah, go on to Steph about how she's going to somehow ensnare brand and her friend's like are you out of your mind like get what the fuck 
is wrong with you? Please? Why does she have to ensnare Bran? Bran's on board. Bran's He's, they've already got a date. What do you need to do? Take off that sweater. That's what you need to do, Skeeza. <laughs> so by hook or by crook, they are searching the, the, the room, and Mikey has a, a theory that it's actually underneath. Oh, yeah, and then, which gets confirmed by Chunk the Klutz well, breaking a cooler, right? It's confirmed by him, but how? Because Mouth says another really shitty joke. Why don't we just put chocolate all over the floor and Chunk can eat it his way through? Right, I and forgot it, about the other fat, shamey joke. That this next was big like, one. Yeah. It's kind of like I knew they were going to happen, but at this one, I was just like, man, this is like too much. It's yeah, too it's bad. much. Where's me? I love this movie and it's got wonderful things in it, but I think they could have dialed back a little bit on the fat shaming jokes. And and on he, he does a couple of ugly jokes about Steph as well, which aren't the best either. Yeah. So Mouth's an asshole. Mouth's a little prick. Mouth um, is terrible. Then another very ridiculous thing happens, right? They establish like, oh shit, these are the Fratellis. Chunk is actually not bullshitting us. This is a real deal. And he's like, yep, you guys, you fucking never listen to me. And he's so pissed. He's totally just tearing them a new one when he all of a sudden smells, smells through a door, ice cream. So he's, he opens, he's like, there's fucking ice cream in here. They've got Rocky Road, chocolate, cherry, explosion, wait, grape. Wait, look, grape. Grape? Grape. <laughs> what the fuck is grape ice cream? That's Who has disgusting. ever had grape ice cream? Disgusting. Maybe it's a lot of, without cream, what is it called? Like, wait. Not sure. A sorbet. A sorbet. Sorbet. A sorbet. Yeah, this doesn't look like a sorbet kind of establishment, though. <laughs> grape fucking ice cream so despite the fact that chunk knew all along that there was this crime thing that's happened in the city could tell from a distance that they shouldn't have gone into this fucking place saw the car and was like y'all fuck these are these motherfuckers like i'm telling you it's these people then they had to fucking finally be like oh chunk you're right these are the fratellis and we are in some deep 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 ass shit they hear them come back wait start what right? else do they find in the ice cream? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Fuck. So besides ice cream, there's a fucking dead body in there. Oh, stiff! That lands on them. And as they're pushing the stiff back into the freezer, this is what I mean. So despite the fact that, like, and they only found the stiff because of Chunk's ass looking for the ice cream, somehow they managed to push the stiff with Chunk back into the ice cream cooler and then start to rescue themselves and don't even realize that they don't have Chunk until they are all the way down the fucking hole. Chunk gets Sadly, disrespected. Though, he manages to somehow fall out of the cooler and make his way over there. And they're like, we are in deep shit, dude. Though you gotta go get the cops. And he's like, okay, I'll go because I wouldn't fit down that hole anyway. <gasps> he does not say that. Did he I does. miss that? Yeah. But then manages to go through that tiny little window so that he can be the hero and try to go get the cops, right? Yeah. It's not his fault. It's dark. But of course, Chunk would hail down the car that actually has the fucking fatalities. I have in to it. tell you though, my that's favorite. my nightmare. Like, anytime I've ever watched a horror film, which is probably like five because I can't take them, when someone goes running off into the road and is like, "Help me, help me!" That's my first thought. Is like, "Oh my god, I hope they just don't get picked up by another fucking crazy." <laughs> and, and then of course, the blender scene's going to come up, which is the funniest shit that's ever happened in a film. I'm just going to lay it down right now. Ever, it's probably part of the top ten things funniest. Um, yeah. There's so many different times I reference the blender scene where like, I'll be like, okay, I'll tell you everything. I'll tell you everything. 
the funniest thing in the world to me was, um, you know, I pushed my sister Edie so down and I blamed it on, the dog. it on the dog. But this time when I listened to it, it's the funniest funny shit enough. ever. I, I, no, I'm not on your side. I think it's hilarious now. The dog one wasn't as funny to me this time because I have to imagine, because he's like, and then the worst thing I ever done. I'm like, why is that the worst thing? And I think, what did they do with the dog? Oh, that just got dark, Sasha. They're on the move. They're on the move. They're on their way. They got to find one-eyed Willie because it's the only way out. The only way out is in. So they keep going. And then they can't see. And, and they ask Data if he's got a light. And he turns on these things called bully blinders, which I only know because of the subtitles. And I realized for the first time, exactly, for the millions of times that I've watched this movie, I think I understood 25% of Data's lines. <laughs> well, that's problematic too. So they're on the move, they're on the move, and then comes the, the first, like, like, you know, slapstick moment where they find some pipes. At this point, they're actually not that motivated to get to One-Eyed Willie. They're mo more motivated to get the fuck out. So they start banging on a bunch of pipes to try to get the attention of someone from up above. And what they end up doing is basically destroying the Astoria Country Club's entire plumbing system, including launching bitch-ass Troy off a toilet seat into the ceiling and down, which actually he might have, should have been dead he, from he, as he well. He died there. Like, he and, died. But yeah. did you notice what magazine he's reading? No, I didn't. What was it? Guns and Ammo. Of course it was. Great, great little touch there. Great little yeah. touch of like, these are Republicans. Yeah. <laughs> these people are assholes and they kill yeah. people. While they're destroying the Astoria Country Club, yes, the Fratellis have brought out the blender and are now threatening um, the future of Chunk's potential violin career um, <laughs> by, you know, holding his fingers above the blades. And yeah, he immediately, as he did with us, endeared himself, at the very least, to the Fratelli brothers by revealing all of the bad things he's ever done. Something about the vomit story really makes Elder Fratelli like, this, this kid's all right, he's one of us. So they lock him up with Sloth, where one of the greatest friendships was forged on the silver screen truth, ever. Truth, truth. Down below, this was the part where I was like, this was written by men, because Andy is losing it. So after oh, the pipes, Andy yeah. is losing it, and she's doing this thing where she's talking to herself. And as she's talking to herself, she says, I have a beautiful body. Don't well, I have a beautiful body? Would it have really been a big deal if I just let Troy look at my body? Would it have really been a big deal? Who the fuck has a breakdown? Like, even if they've got a beautiful body, like, what girl is like, that's the thing that comes out when she's scared? That's the thing. That well, she well, basically, she's saying, why, why did I need to use that moment to exercise my feminism? I would still be fine if I had not and just yeah. permitted this gross dude to do what he wanted to do. The screenwriter needs to actually meet a female. This is ludicrous. Because, yeah. I mean, she could have been freaking out over anything. Yeah, but you her freaking I mean? out about her body leads her to then see a body that she definitely wouldn't want to look like, and that's, of course, the gross, I guess ruddy remains I, of Chester Copperbot. This is, it's part of the Rube Goldberg. It's part of the Rube Goldberg I, of the I'll, film, I'll give, right? I'll give the film that because I love it so much, but literally, she could have just been like, I miss my parents, I, you know, I, I, I'm- Anything. Anything other than to have had potentially one of her last thoughts if she really thought that she was going to die to be that she wished she had condoned some gross, perverted sexploitation of herself. Yeah. Sad, but great moments of this film. 
after the bats are released and the Fratellis don't grind up Chunk's hand and they're like, oh yeah. shit, there are tunnels underneath there. There is something. And Chunk, while they're fucking talking about the fact that he actually was t- not talking shit, is like, see guys, I fucking told you. And he's eating the ice cream and they snatch it from him. And he's so upset but he's still he's such a good little kid actor like he just that's the thing i I think this this watch of it you realize that he is a scene stealer chomp 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 absolutely he's eaten if you want to make one fat joke about him it can be that he ate up the screen didn't he he just oh he ate that script he just devoured it spit it out and ask those kids to keep the fuck up they're through the hole they're through a little tunnel of bats and they're on their way down 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 and then there's like a slightly inappropriate line from data slightly racist inappropriate line um which i would have never heard before had i not started watching films with the subtitles (laughs) hey guys you know if we go so far down will we will reach china maybe i can visit my auntie oh god because yeah. you know I'm I am half Asian, everyone, and that always rubs me the wrong way. It's just I hate when they it's make fun cool. of like Chinese accents and making fun of R's as L's, and it's just it yeah. It yeah, just, it's a it's, it's grossness. Tired. It's, it's a tired gross. joke, and then then the dig your hole to China thing. It's just so oh, such just... such old school sad ass humor that still found yeah. its way into eighties movies. That's like you know like Pollock jokes and Flashdance. Just like what the fuck, like, get, get get out, read a book. Come and on. You know what's interesting too is I feel like even now, like now they have the Asian character, um, and maybe they don't make fun of their accents because now Asian characters in films don't have accents. Now the stereotype is that they're either super boring and, you know, straight laced and square. Yeah. Or they're fucking crazy. Super crazy. Like, like, um, like Chang on fucking, um, Chang on, on on community, who is amazing. Like, I love Chang. I think Chang's hope, you know I mean? Like the guy brings it, like, it still seems like we're in a rut of what we allow, um, Asian actors to be and represent and things like that. So I'm very unhappy uh, that you told me that there was that line. And scene. Sorry. And Sorry scene. about that. The waterfall scene, um, the wishing well scene. Yes. This is probably one of my favorite parts of the movie, sans the dramatic monologue. Again, Martha Plimpton, love her as an actress. And this is like a moment where she actually gets to have a few other lines than being and show a bit more of who she is versus yeah. just Andy's kind of eye-rolling friend that's not as maybe pretty when she kind of is just the moment of, hey, we can't take this because it's people's wishes. You know, like mm-hmm. she's the one who delivers that and, and kind of makes it right. look poignant. Which And then we get... Was, we get mouth. Why is Corey Feldman always that jaded latchkey kid that's seen too much? Why is he, why is that his stock character? Why is he always that cynic that like, he's just seen so much that that he he needs to take it all back. I'm taking them all back. Dude, it doesn't look like your life has been that hard. And then there's that really awkward tiff between him and Steph that's supposed to infuse some sexual tension between their two characters that just again feels so awkward and forced i can't i've never been able to make i read that that. they didn't like each other Um, very much 
they're, they're drawn to the waterfall because there's light emanating from it because there's the bucket that descends and above it is dickbag Troy and two of his like really grody rich guy friends and he's sitting there making really good 35 years old the yeah way. they're all 30 yeah they're all no no Troy Troy looks like yeah. he's you know 22 yeah they look friend. like they're dressed for like a team building fucking retreat they, they do not look like <laughs> high school boys at all it's a corporate team building retreat and Absolutely. he's making, and so he tosses a coin into the fountain wishing to be able to make it with Andy but like an idiot he revealed his fucking wish to his friends so obviously <laughs> it's not going to come true when the coin ping, comes right back out of the fucking well and he looks down there and there's Andy and brand and everyone and so he sends down the bucket and it's determined do come true which is ugh, so so gross right so now andy is like okay we're cold we're wet we're going home and yeah um, because she's whiny she's a skis a little bitch and so and she's still wearing troy's sweater so troy is there to like save the day right and she's ready to go and he's like but what but whoa we're gonna like lose the goonies and she's like but i'm not a goonie and then I was, and that was the first time actually that i ever realized oh that's why she's so fucking annoying she's the odd man out she's the only one of them because i'm pretty sure steph because she's down as fuck she is a goonie and miss thing is not so then we get the next very inspiring declining in inspiring speeches from sean astin about you know i just don't get like the writing on this one it is um, so terrible number one it's really long and i just don't get where where it goes i just it's time it's their time their time up here down here it's our time our, our time. time down here like, how many times did they shoot that 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 seemed like the best cut they got well i you know when it comes down to it i really think it's the screenplay more than him Fuck, i think he did so, as much as he could do moving. it's so but over the top just earnest so, and the, just the cadence of it just from the, dir- the from a direct just from a directorial perspective it's like yeah. really like cadence of that monologue is so fucking unnatural anyhow andy makes a good decision and she sides with the goonies and she takes off troy's manky ass sweater puts it on the bucket and up and away it goes at which point we realize what a colossal Ted Bundy-sized fucking bullet Andy has dodged because he has a fucking meltdown that is so creepy and terrifying. He screams, Andy, you goonie! And the two dudes on his team building weekend just back the fuck away from him because they're like, oh yeah, he's about to like do it. At this moment, I was pretty pumped. I was like, good, go home, not goonie. No one wants you here. You fucking suck. But then when she made the decision to get rid of Troy's manky ass sweater, finally, I was very excited and was like, okay, maybe. She's not a bad character. No, it's like, it's not a, it's not a fucking Ariel. No, she's not a fucking Ariel. Like, she's not. Andy. Yeah. And, but, but like I said before, it's like her lines were written by men. So what can you expect for her? But to be whiny, what can you expect from her to be like this really, shallow only a you know body obsessed boy obsessed character you know what i mean right. so anyway so, meanwhile back at the ranch chunk and sloth have forged a friendship over a baby ruth candy bar and now they are raiding the ice cream freezer while chunk is on the phone to the police trying to get them to believe that they are actually in the basement of the fratelli's hideout and that his friends need help but of course because he tells so many big whopper lies that the cop is like oh yeah that's like like the time you told me about all those iranian terrorists chunk and sloth have no choice 
but to save the gang. And Sloth is down the tunnel, quick as you want. And somehow Chunk, who thought he wouldn't fall down or be able to go in the hole, does. So yeah, so they're now in the they're now in the thick of it as well, following after the Fratellis, following after the kids. The kids who have now decided that it's time for a pee break. Uh-huh. And we walk into yet another problematic area involving <laughs> Ugg Andy. She's not a fucking Ariel, she's an Ugg Andy. So Ugg Andy, they decide <laughs> they're gonna take a fucking pee break, right? They take a pee break and Brand establishes his toxic masculinity by refusing to go to the little boy's room and deciding that he has to go to the men's room. And so then all the boys abandon and they're like, yes, we're going to the men's room as well. Written by a man. Andy has concocted a scheme by where she's going to go into a little nook of this, this cavernous area in the cave um, and lure Brand in there so that they can kiss. And her um, siren song to him is Brand friend to which he responds to his little brother will you go see what she's ragging about as if they've been married already for 47 years this isn't his crush this is the chick who's bitching and ragging on him yet again why is he all of the sudden couldn't care less fred flintstone so yeah so um so he sends mikey to go see what she's ragging about but her continued siren song is brand i'm in here with my eyes closed like i'm totally vulnerable and like she and she must have got cast for it she's got that voice where she is she is infantile isn't she they didn't they couldn't defend myself against anything you might do because i'm alone with my Eyes closed. And you remember Steph's, Steph's moment line to her before this because what's uh, what we will find out is Steph's just like there, fly on the wall, and yeah. Steph is is lurking She's in the shadows, and Steph is fucking rad because Steph is able to see that it is in fact Mikey who comes to see what um, what Andy is ragging on, and Andy with her eyes closed manages to not notice that she's grabbing someone that weighs likely under a hundred pounds has to pull them up to her face to kiss them they have braces and then she just lets them go and steph who is the greatest friend ever is just like so how was that <laughs> does not does not tell her yeah maybe does maybe you want to do that with your eyes open next time she's just brand wear braces yeah she is just solid friend so cool. number one for not like she knows that she'll just trigger like a total meltdown if Aunt, with andy if she tells her the truth and that that's her vengeance for having to have to like be put through this bullshit with andy oh, and yeah. somehow ug andy is like oh i think there's a hole right there be careful i think brand was a hole you think you think brand six foot two brand was standing in a hole <laughs> that wouldn't be a hole that would be a well what are you talking about baby jessica's down there if it's that fucking deep <laughs> if you have to pull them up to your face ridiculous ridiculous so meanwhile, the Fratellis are hot on their trail. We can hear Mama snorting as they've come up against yet another invention of One-Eyed Willie's, the bone organ. Which is the only, coolest thing ever. Which is the coolest thing ever. Probably but of my course, favorite of the booby trap. Thing. Only rich girl Ugg Andy has ever played the piano, of course. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. she's the one that's going to have to play the music that is printed on the backside of the mat. And this is where Clark, a.k.a. Mouse, 
Spanish is actually fairly decent and he can translate the map for her. Oh, wait a second. That's, you that's what not even bring this what? up. What? So I get it. He speaks Spanish. We established that. But he speaks 16th century Spanish. <laughs> like he knows the word for ye in Spanish. Ye who cometh forward. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. But uh, no Fearman. No Fearman totally fucks him up on the beach, right? No, like, no, no pen. Man. No pen. No right. The one that I could probably figure out. No Fearman. With fear my, with no my fear terrible. No Fearman. I could could figure out what that meant. Yeah. The redeemable moment for Ugg Andy, where yeah. she plays the piano and she's really trying. And um, I mean, I'd be sweating bullets. That'd be fucking really yeah, stressful. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, like as like the floor collapses out from underneath her. Yeah, I mean, that's, each that's one pretty at each side, right? Because I mean, right. she basically almost kills them all, and then at the last moment saves them, of course. Right. These kids manage to get over the little, um, you know, drawbridge that's been descended as a result of Andy successfully thwarting the the invention of the the bone organ, and then they are in old time raging waters they go through these fucking water tubes and they make it look like it's so fun and this is the first time i ever noticed that one eyed willie him put like spears and shit coming off the walls <laughs> like I it's actually yes it's actually super dangerous you like know. you made it this far here's a fun ride on the way to my pirate ship no like there was legit spears coming oh, off the wall i'm gonna have to see and that. they're doing loop-de-loops and all kinds of stuff in the tunnels be like y'all would be fucking dead so many times over i'll tell uh, you i'll tell you as a child goonies world it should have existed i'm sure they yeah. did something i'm sure something happened because it had to but i hate water slides they're so uncomfortable either they're very uncomfortable they're they're like, like you get water up your nose and your ears and your bathing suit goes up your goes up your feet. vagina yeah it's your vagina really... i didn't even think about that it goes up yeah yeah it goes up all the I things much prefer once you get into the lagoon with the waterfalls. Yeah. One of my favorite things to do. Like, it's so nice. It's so yeah. relaxing. See, this yeah. is why and you and I are friends. Once in a while, a waterfall. River. Yeah, the lazy river, man. Like what? That's, That's a great ride. That, a fucking e-fucking ticket. I could do that for about 17 hours straight. Yes. Yeah. To be fair. Yeah. If you fed Absolutely. Me. But like, um, yeah, water slides aren't my thing. I, I want yeah. to be cool and edgy, but... After watching that. Goonies, I had a Raging Waters birthday party and then never did that <laughs> shit again. Yeah, I did. Hated it. Hated every fucking minute of it. Hated my own birthday. It was terrible. But now we're finally at the pirate ship. Yes, we have made it to the pirate ship full of skeletons murdered so that One-Eyed Willie's secret would not get out. Data, this breakdown he has, is is all me it's like everything that's me so again he falls in through something and then it, it shows the way right right and then data who has kind of just been the butt of a joke and with these wacky in invention finally gets his moment to just be like data is tired of falling he's tired of this he's tired of that oh data you take the stairs oh you think i would have taken the stairs if i knew it's just i'm sick of this i make these inventions nobody cares how hard i work on them all this stuff <laughs> and he's just stupid yeah. he's like this 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 shit takes work he has I, a midlife crisis in the bottom of an old fucking pirate boat at the age of 11 or however my old spirit yeah. animal he is my yeah. spirit animal like yeah he was me in spades just just this breakdown i do not invent anything and you invented this podcast 
Oh, shit. You invented a whole human. Okay, so we've changed that. I am an inventor. <laughs> and those are exactly what my breakdowns are about there. They're <laughs> pissed off. I work so fucking hard. <laughs> I love it. it. It's just the best moment for me. Thank you. Thank you for letting uh, me have that. Yeah, absolutely. You deserve that. Yeah. Okay, so here's the, here's the thing that has always bothered me about this movie. When they find the door, the secret door above them to like the attic of a pirate ship, because I didn't even know there was such a fucking thing, but apparently there's an attic of a fucking pirate ship <laughs> and that's where One-Eyed Willie is. So when they see the door above them, it is clearly, there is a message written in gold ink on it that they do not read. They just punch straight through it. But you would think at that point that they've been nearly murdered so many times that if there was like a little note that was like, all ye who think ye me pass through this little fucking cat door, just so you know, I'm about to fuck you up. Like, Or maybe something that said, maybe it said, um, uh, uh, if you've gotten this far, you can have my gold, but make sure to leave a little for me or something, something like that. Something, exactly. Kind of exactly. would like foreshadow what happens so they bust through his last message and they let mikey, mikey. up there by himself for a moment because you know so then we have happen. dramatic monologue number three four i don't know i, think I don't even know I think it's, the, it's, the, it's the last dramatic monologue yeah and again it's just it's breathy and it's kind of like i don't get why he's the original goonie and i don't get his I don't get why he's so excited to see him and he's like whispering and they're like and then all of them are up there candles. So then when they go and they start like filling up their pockets and stuff and someone goes immediately for um that tray of gold right in front of Willie and he goes no 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 leave that for Willie that's Willie's that part to me is hilarious only because of the shot of one-eyed Willie like he goes no you leave that for Willie and then they pan straight to one-eyed Willie's face like yeah, kid. And then it goes back to them fucking cleaning the table. And that's hysterical to me. And I don't know if they meant it to be, but it's really fucking funny. I don't think they meant it to be. I think I think there's a lot of sentimentality throughout this whole thing, which is these scenes that now, and, and you know, I think, again, when I watched this in my 20s, where I was just like, fuck this, this is terrible. This is terrible. Is because of these monologues and this kind of sentimentality, which in Stand By Me is so on point the sentimentality you're just right. into it where in this one it's not the sentimentality that i like what i like is the adventure the cleverness of it all you know it, what it is it's arc. that it's that yeah it's clever and it's also meant to be as we said at the beginning um an edgy kind of kids movie so then to all of a sudden infuse it with this like heavy duty sentimentality is just kind of like well, where the fuck did yeah. that come from it's just like we're talking about upside down dicks give like, me another yeah. booby trap yeah <laughs> <laughs> exactly. They exactly. try to hold back on some of the fat jokes. Yeah. So now we've basically we, we've hit the we've hit the high note. They found the ship. They they've got the gold. They found the rich stuff. But of course, the Fratellis are still on their trail. They show up. They do what the Fratellis do: steal the fucking gold from their pockets, make them walk the plank, act like a bunch of dicks. Right. My question <laughs> here is: Okay, they walk the plank, right? Um, and Andy's the first one, and she's tied up. So, so because even Mama Fratelli can clock from a distance. This bitch, though. <laughs> so, so then Bran goes in after her, and and then like to escape, they all jump in the water. So why was it a big deal to walk the plank if they were all going to end up in the water anyway? 
in that you moment. Get where I'm saying. I know, I, I know what you mean. You like you mean. It, it, but it, but it, if it, Andy it, wasn't tied up, then we wouldn't have the you know for Brand to go jump in after her so that he could yeah. save her, so then he could put her weak little tied up wrists around her his neck, so that once again this vulnerable girl that couldn't possibly defend herself finds herself in a position to kiss the boy oh, that she kiss finally. Yeah, written really by a man. Oh, yeah, written by a man with his penis. So then, what happens? Nothing, chunk. but goodness, because Sloth shows up with Chunk. Because nothing happens without Chunk, right? They're not going to get saved. They're all in the water, but they're still going. The Fratellis are still going to fuck them up. They're going to let them drown or shoot them in the water or do some shit. But who shows up? Hey, you guys. <laughs> there they are in a fucking fuzzy pirate hat. So goddamn cute. Sloth comes in, saves the day, ends up fucking up his brothers. He ties, he, they try to catch him. He ties them up, sends them up the fucking mast. And then we have that moment where he confronts Mama. Mama. I don't like this moment at all. You've been bad, Mama. And it's so fucked up because she's so, you know, she's so terrible. I mean, she's an abusive mother. And it's just the whole thing about Rockabye Baby on the treetop. And he's dropped. Fall. And it's ah, really it's dark. Just, it's really yeah, dark. Yeah, it is really. Actually. It's, it's like a he, very, very dark moment. Like the, of the music film. changes. It goes super dark where he realizes how he's become the sloth brother, right? Um, and then it turns to comic relief when his resolve is to throw his own mom in the water. Yeah, haha. Ha, yeah. Right? Haha, ha, right? He goes into the water as well, right, to go off with the children. They come back to the boat because they're greedy fucks. And of course, what do they do is they try to get this treasure. They steal that little bit that Mikey knew instinctively should be left for One-Eyed Willie. So they, of course, trip the last mechanism as Mama Fratelli is like talking her smart ass old mouth off to old to One-Eyed Willie. She's, like, she's the one who does it. Yeah. She's the um, one who pulls like, the yeah. thing. Because I think that the reason I'm saying that and making it important is because of all the adults that are stupid, she's the one that's not but she's the one who makes this fatal error. The fatal error, right, exactly. So the, the, machine, the mechanism starts, the cave-in begins, and they've got to get out, and they find that one last candle, which has clearly been dynamite this entire time that they've been running around with, and of course they managed to get it lit, blow up a hole in a cave wall, like 40 feet away from themselves and not get murdered by any giant stones falling into the water. Um, and an opening appears and then is quickly covered by a rock, which then of course, super sloth pushes up the stone, lets them free. And there's this sad moment where Chunk's like, come, come with us, come with us. Sloth loves Chunk. But it's so sweet. And see- Must you stay, because he's not going to abandon his family no matter how shitty they are. But Chunk, when he delivers like the sentimental kind of moment between him and you just, your heart breaks a little yeah. bit. It's really, it, it works because it's kind of, um, it's almost so ridiculous that it, it bounces back on itself. And then of course there's the icing on the cake that comes later where you're just like, oh, yeah. Chunk Absolutely. and Sloth forever. Forever, forever. So yeah, so, so Sloth stays behind to rescue his asshole family because- <laughs> Sloth is a stand-up dude. And, you know, the cave-in happens. The kids make it down the beach. The cops see them. Oh, yay, the kids are here. Great. Yeah. Parents show up, including yeah. Chunk's parents, who show up with a pizza. 
Yeah. And then Data's dad's moment where he tries to, he builds the little camera thing and it falls apart and Data's like, oh, oh you can't, you can't hug a photograph. Yeah. So they all have all these tender moments. None of them are going to believe them about the, you know, pirate ship. They're like, okay. Mikey's tender moment, of course, is we had it. We had, we had gold, it. We had the, the gold to save everything and, and we missed it. We have that moment. But, but we're that the richest is. people in Astoria because you are safe and sound. And then there, of course, is Troy with his dick ass dad. And they look oddly well cast, very well cast. I wrote that because they're like too. fucking they look like identical. Twins. They look it's, like it's twins. Very well done there. Um, and of course, Troy and his dick dad want the fucking paper signs so that they but, can. But make. I do have to say, like, what, how unprofessional is it to bring your kid to work day? <laughs> where it's like. <laughs> Yet another unlikely hero. All of the outcasts, those made fun of, Sloth, Chunk, and who? Rosalita. Save the day. As Rosalita is going through Mikey's wet clothing, she discovers his marble bag, the one thing that the Fratellis did not confiscate from them when they, after they had their own little raid of the treasure, and inside it is a pile of jewels, where she begins to scream, no firmen. Like, what the fuck? How do you not know Fearman? You can't, you don't know no Fearman, but you know how to fucking translate 17th century pirate Spanish. And so once you don't sign it, don't sign it. And he runs and he grabs the pen and then he like draws on dude with it for a second. Do you like, he, <laughs> what I remember is, is, you know, the father who, again, like I have a big, I got a big ish with the dad casting. Well, he's a nebbish. Well, like, well, like you said, yeah. the adults are not much to write home about. And he's a super then, nebbish. Like, oh, like, I am a bow tie. And then he's got some balls all of a sudden. He's like, we will you. sign nothing today or never again. You didn't okay. do shit, bro. Now, mind you, they do this before they know if they're real, how much they're worth. Yeah. I just think that the amount of jewels that are in his hand yeah so I, so i so don't yes, think zoom on the spot they've got enough jewels to save the whole town he tears up the contract everyone's excited everything's great despite the fact that the fratellis have washed up on the beach and they've been telling them that they were you know on the run from the fratellis they still don't want to believe them about the pirate ship until the thing cracks through the wall and takes off <laughs> into the sun so the one minute moment you did miss out is I was going to, I'm letting you have that. Chunk. Yeah, you missed the chunk scene when, when Sloth comes. and No, says, no, I was letting you have that because you oh, just it was very sweet. It. Yeah. The sweet moment. Although is, I'm not sure about the legality of a child adopting a grown man. Well, no, he doesn't say he's going to adopt him. He just says, you can come live with me. You know, mm -hmm. you're okay. You're going to come live with me now. Yeah. Life is going to be okay. Because Chunk loves um, Sloth. And sloth because loves chunk, chunk loves Sloth. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, Goonies. Awesome movie. I love it. But numerous things that I don't think uh, wired Trans properly yeah. in my brain. No, because yeah. I, think, yeah, I think I accepted things. And, you know, I mean, I thought the truffle shuffle was hilarious. And I thought... Oh, sure. Thought, and and probably at the time, yeah, Andy was sweet and the girl that you wanted to be. And you knew Troy was a creep. But at the same time, she had the attention of a boy. Murderer. Exactly. You didn't know he was straight up Ted Bundy. You know, you just knew that she had the attention of a boy. Reading guns and ammo. Yeah, and everybody and thought that the scene where, where Chunk tells Rosalita all of those things in Spanish is super funny. Like there's all those things that for the time they were funny for your age at the time they were funny and they just don't, they don't make it to 2020 by our standards of what's funny and what's acceptable.
anyway, what are we going to do for our, our three, uh, three movies? Because I didn't think, I can't think of one to ask you. On a transatlantic flight to come visit me or I to visit you, would you watch The Goonies, any kind of Tyler Perry movie, or any movie with Liam Neeson in it? Ah, I'd probably go for the Tyler Perry first. <gasps> in all fairness, I like their movies. There's some oh my there. God, <laughs> something just broke inside. I would sooner inflate my life vest while still inside the plane than fucking ever watch a Tyler Perry movie. Why? Are, do you not like him because they're- I just can't stand him. I can't stand Tyler Perry movies. I can't stand any of that like ridiculous Medea comedy. It just is such a turnoff to me. I think it's so stupid. Oh, but, but, but I'm just saying, I've seen Goonies numerous times, and I think that as much as it's charming and as much as I love it, some of the parts that are I don't like really rub me the wrong way. So mm. I think I love it, and I probably would watch it because I've got eight hours, but I might watch something before it. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah, you know, I, would, I would definitely, I'd go for the Liam Neeson movie. I'd watch Goonies. I don't know if I'd watch it twice on one flight. I'd yeah. probably go ahead and watch whatever they had on like the Discovery Channel version of the online in-flight yeah. offerings, but I would never touch that Tyler Perry shit, girl. I'm so, so surprised. <laughs> hey, I, I've only seen like one of them and it was like, you know, it, it, it helps you pass the time, you know? And I think that life yeah. is too short. You don't need passing time like that. <laughs> Fuck a Tyler Perry movie. So thank you all so much for listening to our latest episode of Eating After Midnight. If you liked what you heard, please pop on over to iTunes or whatever platform you listen to us on and leave us some stars in a review. You'd also make our day if you could follow us on Instagram at Eating After Midnight Podcast. And if you've got the time, DM us with any comments, questions, complaints, or requests for future reviews. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, just like the Goonies, never say die.